When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the John Clay Podcast. I'm John Clay, sports columnist with the Lexington Aero Leader and Kentucky.com. It is Tuesday, January 18th, 2022. And on today's podcast, we are going to preview Wednesday night's Kentucky basketball game with the Texas A&M Aggies down in College Station. It is an 8.30 start on the SEC Network. Kentucky comes into the game off of a very impressive 107-79 victory over Tennessee on Saturday. The Cats are 4-1 and in the SEC. Texas A&M is undefeated in the SEC. Buzz Williams' team is 4-0 in the conference. They are 15-2 overall. They haven't played as tough a schedule as some of the other teams in the SEC. They haven't played as tough a schedule, I don't believe, as Kentucky has to this point. But still, they're 4-0. They're playing at home. Uh, They came from behind to win at Missouri on Saturday. They got down in that game. I think they missed their first 13 shots in that game and still came back and rallied to beat Missouri 67-64 on Saturday. So it's an interesting matchup down in College Station. To um, preview the game, I talked with Travis Brown of the Bryan College Station Eagle about the Aggies, about Buzz Williams and his team. And for Kentucky, I talked with Derek Terry of the Cats Paws to talk about the Wildcats, about how they're playing and what we're looking for going into a pretty tough stretch here for Kentucky. They have Texas A&M on Wednesday. Then they go to Auburn on Saturday. Auburn number two in the country right now in the AP Top 25. Kentucky comes home to play Mississippi State, which is playing well right now. And then they go to Kansas for the SEC Big 12 Challenge game on January 29th in Lawrence. But before we talk about those games, let's talk about the Texas A&M game. And like I said, we have Travis Brown of the Bryan College Station Eagle and Derek Terry of the Cats Paws. So let's get right to it as we preview the Cats and the Aggies. Okay, my guest now on the podcast is Travis Brown of the Bryan College Station Eagle who covers Texas A&M basketball. How's it going, Travis? Hey, can't complain. Uh, big, big game. At, at probably one of the biggest games that Reed had it for uh, a couple of seasons now. So should be exciting one down here in College Station and looking forward to it. Yeah, Texas A&M having an excellent season, 15-2 and two overall, 4-0 in the SEC. Uh, and Buzz Williams, this is his third year, right, at uh, A&M? Uh, what That's the, correct. What, what were the, let's start with what were the expectations for the Aggies coming into the season uh, in Buzz's third season as the coach there? I don't know if anybody really knew what expectations to have. He lost about, I believe it was nine, ten players last year due to graduation of the transfer portal, and they kind of hit the reset button and went to the transfer portal to, to really kind of revamp this team. We're able to pull in some, some really good young talent. 
but because of that, because of some of these names being unknown and some of these names being unproven, um, the fan base didn't really quite know what to expect from this A&M team. They kind of only knew that it could only go up from what they were doing, what, what they did last season. And I think I think they were picked, weren't they picked like twelfth? I think to finish in the SEC uh, by the media. But I'd say that a lot of that had to do because people didn't really know what they had. Uh, what? Yeah, exactly. What? Uh, when did you get a start to get a feel for? Okay, this team might turn out to be pretty good. Pretty early on, I think that the one of the things that stood out to me that that hasn't really been a characteristic of an AM team for really like the past four seasons. The fact that they can, they can actually hit some shots and not only can they hit some shots, they, they can hit uh, the, the mid range shot a little bit better than they have in the past. I think their A&M fans would, would know that over the past four years, if anybody pulled up inside the three point line or really behind the three point line for that matter, there was a less than good chance that it was going to actually find the bottom of the bucket because <laughs> they just have not been a good shooting team over the last years. And when, when, players would pull up and there was at least some expectation that, Hey, this, this could go in. I think that that was a start that things um, were really kind of maybe turning around. And then just seeing the speed that they have, especially when they um, can get some steals and turn that into transition offenses and uh, offense and get some easy buckets that way. um, It kind of started to figure out that, okay, if this is a way that if they are that good defensively and can, can force these turnovers that, that, create easy buckets that's a way for a team that maybe doesn't have the 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 same number of of recruiting stars that some of these sec teams have to kind of narrow that playing field um when when they get out there on the court against some of these teams and so um i think that combined with a few of the wins they had in the maui invitational really kind of said okay this 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 is going to be a different team than than buzz has had the past two years and one that could um Make a little noise, if not have a have a successful season. Yeah, they beat Notre Dame uh, earlier in the year, a team that beat Kentucky. Uh, you mentioned about the the transfers uh, who've made a difference. Who are some of those guys? Who are some guys that uh, Kentucky fans for look for, look for uh, Wednesday night uh, when Kentucky plays Texas A and M? Yeah, let's start. We'll, let's start on the other way because that that's an easier way to start this. And that there's three. <laughs> real key players that actually returned really? from last season. And that shooting guard, Andre Gordon, um, that super senior guard, Quentin Jackson. Uh, and the other is a uh, guard, Hassan Diara. Uh, Quentin Jackson is kind of the heart and soul of the team. He's, he's the oldest guy on the team. And, and he's turned into this kind of six man extraordinaire for Buzz Williams. He's a guy that 100% should be starting, but has found a, ni- a niche and, and Buzz Williams really likes bringing him in off the bench. Um, to kind of stabilize things if things get away early or, or uh, to, to provide a, another starter caliber player into the mix uh, at that, that kind of around that first media timeout. So um, Quentin Jackson is definitely one to look forward. So when you go into the transfers, they brought in Marcus Williams, their starting point guard, who was the Mountain West player of the year last year for, uh, or excuse me, freshman of the year last year for um, Wyoming. He's a Texas native, was able to come back home. Henry Coleman has also been another strong guy. Uh, really, they're only real post presence um, transfer in from Duke didn't get a lot of playing time at Duke, but um, was able to, to, to come down here and, and he's been uh, the, the, the everything for A&M offensively in the post. Um, Ethan Henderson's in from Arkansas, a guy that, that might at Kentucky fans might remember a little bit. He, he's had more of a defensive uh, post. So if they need a shot block or uh, need uh, some more defensive effort, they might put him in there uh, and, and do that. And then, um, 
Uh, and then actually the other guy to kind of keep an eye on is Wade Taylor, who's a true freshman coming in from the Dallas area, uh, who has um, really kind of uh, surprised everyone with his ability to, to kind of be fearless in his shooting and, and, and fearless in his ability to push the ball. Um, uh, Tyrese Radford, also from Virginia Tech, is kind of another heart and soul guy, a hard worker, uh, a guy who gets who can get a lot of, of, of defensive rebounds and, and when he can put up some points too it, it, it really helps the cause so it's hard to single out one because for one reason they, they it, everyone's new and everyone's still kind of finding their roles their niches in the team but also uh through most of the season buzz has played darn near 11 people um throughout the, the course of the game even sometimes in the first half and 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 so everyone has kind of made it a little bit of an impact in, in this way or another one or, or had a game or two where they didn't stand out so it, it, it's a deep team um as far as guys that they feel confident out there that can that can take care of the ball and score some points um but it's also a team that that sometimes can have big uh, big hiccups and big mental lapses, like the beginning of that Missouri game on Saturday. Yeah, I watched that Missouri game. Went back and watched it uh, off TV, and uh, yeah, what they like nine minutes into the game before they scored, they fell behind like twelve nothing. I know they were down eleven points in the second half, but came back and won. And that's one of the things John Calipari said last night on his radio show that he was he thought he enjoyed watching the the tape of Texanium because they play so hard and they've won a lot of close games. Is that pretty much the trademark of this team? Yeah. I mean, I think they're, they're five and one in close games this season um, that, that come down to the wire. And, and the interesting part about that it too is of course, it's a Buzz Williams. Um, he's going to get teams that play hard. That's just his, his MO. And so, yeah, they're going to play, real hard through the game. But the interesting part about how well they've been able to do in close games is the fact that they're one of the worst free throw shooting teams in the country um, through the, through the course of the game. But for some reason in these close games, when it comes down and they need four um, must have free throws, those get made. Now, not, not many of the other ones get made, but the ones that they need down the stretch for some reason tend to get made. So um, that, that's been another interesting part to watch about this A&M team is how many close games they've been able to win with such a terrible free throw shooting percentage. What about, how does the fan base feel about the job that Buzz has done to this point? You know, it's been an interesting one for him. He, he, I, don't, I don't know if you can really judge much on, on him because his first season, of course, was the year that, that, the, that they came out and surprised some people, won some games because they had Josh Nebo in the post, and he uh, was a, a really, really strong post player. Um, Maybe could have made an SEC tournament run to try to maybe get in on, on bubble conversation, but that was when the SEC tournament got canceled because of the beginning of the COVID pandemic. Right. And then last year, uh, a team that they, they lost Nebo, and it was kind of that first rebuilding year because they didn't have Nebo, who was a senior. Um, they were, they, I think they had the longest uh, break, or they played the fewest games of any Power 5 team in the country because of COVID. And so it, it's like, how, how exactly do you quantify that? And how do you quantify growth? And, right. and so I think while some people um, got a little tired of, of the, the COVID interruptions and things last year, this is maybe one of his first real um, seasons to, to, to judge on and judge ability that what they've been able to do. And, and, you know, there's more butts and seats in Reen Arena, and I think everyone is, is pretty happy with what's been going on so far. 
and and you got a game against uh, two of the teams that are right there at the top of the standings, who are right behind Auburn. Uh, you got Auburn, I think, five and zero. A and M's four and zero, and you got Kentucky at four and one. What does A and M you think have to? What are the keys for A and M on Wednesday night to beat Kentucky? They have to minimize turnovers, and they have to. Uh, Buzz Williams is is very analytical, and he he kind of has a, a statistical line for success. Um, for A&M's teams every year to kind of built on the makeup. And his line this year is turnover percentage, it's defensive rebounding percentage, and it's free throw percentage. And so it does fall pretty well in line with what A&M needs to do. They, don't, they, they, they have had tendencies in the past, not as much this season, a little bit more last season, but, but at times this season where they can get a little uh, turnover heavy on offense and, and kind of shoot themselves in the foot uh, with turnovers. But on the converse, they also need to force turnovers and get a few of those transition buckets that can kind of uh, uh, balance the tables for them a little bit shooting. Um, they need the defensive rebound. They're actually one of the worst defensive rebounding teams in the country as well. Um, offensive rebound, they're not, they're not terrible. But it, it, it is to be a little bit expected because they do play more of kind of a four-guard set with a, uh, a power forward than a, than a, than a true center in, in most of their um, – Sets and so they're, they're going to have some size disadvantages in there, and, and they need to be able to, to to box out, find their their men, and, and maybe have some guards crash down to uh, get some rebounds. And then, of course, uh, they they they're shooting about I think want to say about sixty five percent from the free throw line. They they've got to make some some key free throws because they're actually surprisingly one of the best teams in the country at getting, or at least one of the best teams in the SEC at getting to the free throw line. They're going to shoot a lot of free throws, but they don't necessarily hit a whole lot of them. They, they've really got to be able to, to hit some of those. They're a team that, that, that can get real streaky in, in a good way behind the three-point line. It sure, surely wouldn't help if they can get some clutch for, uh, three-pointers from Marcus Williams, from Andre Gordon, from Quentin Jackson, and, and the likes of those guys. But um, I, I think if they can get some of those transition turnovers, that'll be key for them and, and, and try to clean up the glass um, as best they can. Yeah, I think I noticed that they're shooting they're shooting a high percentage through, from three, I think over 37%. If they relied on that quite a bit this year? Uh, yeah, I, they're a real strong inside-out game. Yeah. Uh, the, the difference between the past couple of seasons is that they have guards that, that really feel confident or good at dribble penetrating, and so a lot of their offense is going to be getting those paint touches off the dribble penetration and dishing it back outside, getting some ball movement and getting the other team into rotation. That's actually what kind of stymied them for the first half against Missouri. They played such good man defense that Ana's guards weren't able to get into the paint off the dribble. And therefore they were kind of having to settle for some contested shots, just kind of passing it around the perimeter and not getting those paint touches. So paint touches will be key and, 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 if Kentucky can stop that dribble penetration um, from from A&M's guards, it kind of knocks their their next knocks them off rhythm on on offense, and sometimes they can be uh, baited into taking some some contested and some not so great shots. Well, it should be a very interesting matchup uh, Wednesday night there, Reed Arena there in College Station. I'm sure it'll be a great atmosphere there with Kentucky coming into town. Uh, Travis, tell the listeners where they can follow you on Twitter and how they can follow you, uh, read your stuff online leading up to and after the game on Wednesday. Sure. All my stuff's on theeagle.com um, or myaggination.com, both websites uh, uh, run by uh, here at the Eagle and Bryan College Station. And I'm on Twitter at Travis underscore L underscore Brown. Well, Travis, I really appreciate you being on the podcast, and uh, thanks again, and uh, uh, hope you have a great time Wednesday night. should be a great game. You got it. Thanks so much.
Thanks to Travis Brown of the Bryan College Station Eagle. We'll be back with Derek Terry of the Cats Buzz. But first, I wanted to remind you, you can get a sports-only digital subscription, Sports Pass subscription to Kentucky.com, $30 for the first year. Go to Kentucky.com. Hit on the subscription tab. You can check out all of the subscription offers to Kentucky.com and the print edition of the Herald Leader with the Sports Pass digital subscription. You get all of our UK basketball, UK football, UK recruiting columns. You get high school coverage. You get it all, $30 for the first year. Check it out at Kentucky.com. We appreciate everybody who supports our work at the Lexington Herald Leader and Kentucky.com. When we when we come back, I'll be talking with Derek Terry of the Catspaws about Kentucky as they head into Wednesday night's game against Texas A&M. Okay, my guest now on the podcast is Derek Terry of the Catspaws, my good friend. How's it going, Derek? Doing well, John. How are you doing? I am doing good. Kentucky, Texas A&M on Wednesday night. They're in College Station. It is an 8.30 start on the SEC Network. Kentucky coming off a pretty impressive win over Tennessee, uh, 107-79 on Saturday. Derek, were you as surprised as I was that they were able to handle Tennessee so easily? Yeah. I mean, I, I felt like uh, you know Saturday morning when, when people woke up and saw the news that a uh, former coach Joby Hall had passed away. I felt like there was going to be some added motivation, at least from John Calipari. And you know, I don't know how much the current guys, how much time they'd spent around coach Hall, but obviously Cal and, and coach Hall were very close. So I figured there would be some, uh, you know, I just felt like Cal would want to win, you know, the day that uh, that happened. But for Kentucky to, I think there was like 15 minutes left in the game and they were still shooting 80% from the field. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to lose many games, uh, <laughs> where you're shooting that way. But I mean, to, to have played Tennessee in basketball, I think that was a 233rd all time meeting and the 107 points was the most they'd ever scored against Tennessee. I mean, it was truly a pretty much a historic day when you look at right. it in a certain way with, with how good Kentucky was offensively. Well, let's look, before we get into the Texas A&M game, let's talk about Coach Hall for a second. You're unlike myself; you are a much younger, uh, younger guy, a Kentucky, Kentuckian, and so forth. What do you know, Coach Hall? You know, was the coach before, basically before you came along, or your your group of fans came along? What, what does Coach Hall mean to you? What do you think of when you think about Coach Hall at Kentucky? Well. Uh Really talking to my grandfather, um, we were actually talking. Uh, he called me during the Vanderbilt game. I, I didn't go down to Nashville, so I was watching from home, covering it from there. And uh, he called me during the first half, and we were talking. I had heard that, uh, you know, actually a couple months back, I heard Coach Hall wasn't doing too well. And uh, we were actually talking about him that night. And I thought it was funny because it, it showed up in Jerry's uh, obituary that he wrote on Coach Hall. But my grandpa was telling me the joke about, how the banks wouldn't hire UK guards because uh, Coach Hall wouldn't let the guards shoot. So that's what I thought of whenever. Uh, and uh, my my grandfather, uh, he had a one of his sons, not my dad, but my uncle, uh, who he passed away before I was ever born. But I guess Coach Hall was going around the state or doing something, and uh, he went down to Corbin, and apparently James, that was his name, had gone up to Coach Hall and said my daddy hates you or something like that. So uh, it really kind of fit the narrative, honestly, about what Coach Cal would talk about, not feeling appreciated. You know, maybe he didn't know what what he meant. And really, I actually learned a lot about Coach Hall just from reading Jerry's uh, story on him on Saturday when he passed away. Uh, like you said, I mean, he was I mean, he was well-retired before I was even born almost 10 years. He'd been uh, not the coach at Kentucky. I mean, I don't really remember – Patino at all at UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tubby Smith was, and I wish I could have been there for uh, 
for Tubby's, uh, uh, Jersey, uh, getting hung up in the Raptors, but I was in Orlando, but yeah, coach Hall, I mean, I think it was great though. With the way that Cal kind of incorporated him back into the program. And of course I saw him around, you know, but I, I never had any conversations or anything like that. Um, with Coach Hall. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think Cal did a great job of, you know, including him. He went out of his way to whenever try to get him, you know, and the appreciation that he deserved for what he did for Kentucky basketball, you know, back in the 70s and the, and the end of the uh, end of the 80s. Um, okay. Back to this current Kentucky basketball team. As you said, I mean, they shot lights out against uh, Tennessee, I think 67.9%, the highest percentage in the Calipari era. Uh, what, I mean, is that who is that who this Kentucky team is, or is it like most everything? They're not quite as, they're good, but they're not quite as good as they looked on that one particular day. Yeah, it seems like it's always kind of somewhere in the middle. I mean, yeah. it's been interesting, kind of the swings for this team. I mean, being up at Notre Dame, you know, they couldn't really buy a bucket outside of Sheboy that day. You know, I think they scored sixty points in that loss. Right. LSU they only scored sixty as well, but LSU is very good defensively, and of course. They had to kind of adjust on the fly without Wheeler being there. And then Washington gets cramps in the second half. So that was a little trickier to judge Kentucky off that game. But you've also had these swings where they scored 98 against North Carolina. They scored 107 against the Tennessee team. They came into the game number two uh, in defensive efficiency on Ken Palm. I mean, I think it's certainly an elite offensive team. And I think what you're starting to see now is really, especially with Wheeler coming back and playing so well, it feels like everyone's kind of fitting into the roles pretty well. Mm-hmm. Grady, I mean, he's, uh, to me, kind of quietly, uh, at least in my little uh, realm, uh, I didn't realize he was shooting 45% from three, which mm-hmm. is, you know, it's up there in the Calipari mm-hmm. era in terms of guys. He's got, you know, half a season left. But um, Wheeler's doing really well, came back, scored 21 points, 8 of 10 from the field, had 8 assists. But Ty Ty, the, the two guys between Ty Ty and Oscar Shibway, um I just got a DM today from from a guy who tracks his own stats, and he was saying that uh, Ty Ty is up to the top 10 now in offensive efficiency in the country. So you really kind of have two elite offensive – well, not necessarily offensive guys. Oscar does a good job um, scoring points, but not what you would call probably an elite offensive player, certainly an elite rebounder. Um, But between those two guys and then uh, what Davion Mintz is doing off the bench in that six-man role, I mean, there's a lot to like about this team. And, you know – Keon Brooks doesn't show up every single night and, and maybe give you what you would hope for, but it seems like on those nights that he's not on, uh, Jacob Toppin steps in and plays pretty well. So, you know, things are going pretty well, it seems like right now. Um, curious to see when or if Shaden Sharp gets into the mix, and if he does, you know, what kind of role does he take on? That's, you know, I think that's going to be a storyline the whole year. Just whenever you have a guy like that who was ranked number one in his class and he's just chilling over there on the bench, you know, I think everybody wants to see him play. But whether he actually plays or not, who knows? But with the current group that they have out there, really doing some great things. I mean, to jump from, I think, eighth overall in Ken Palm going into Saturday to as high as number three, right. I think they're back down to five now. You know, some other teams have played. But pretty impressive, especially for a group that, you know, whenever we left Notre Dame, I was kind of wondering – yeah. And if it was kind of how good this group could be, but now that they're starting to figure it out a little bit, I mean, they're, they're quite fun to watch. Well, speaking of Shaden Sharp, would you, what's your prediction? Do you think Cal will play him? And do you worry that if he does play him, it might mess with the chemistry of this team? If you, I mean, they're already, you know, 20, 20 games into the season. Uh, I mean, would you have any worries yeah. about that at all? I, mean, I think you have to, um, 
have to have worries about that. And at the same time, I was I was on Dick Gabriel's show last night, and we were kind of talking about it. You know, if he did play, whose minutes would he take? Just because of how things are going right now. And I think that's a good thing to point out. But to me, and it might be a coincidence, it might not be. I don't know. It's probably just me spitballing. But it seems like there's really been an effort from Cal to get Bryce Hopkins going. Mm-hmm. And to me, Bryce Hopkins kind of seems more like a small ball four. You know, he's having to play the three right now. And I don't think that's what suits him best. But, uh, you know, I think Cal just wants to get him going. But if there were a scenario that Sharp played, I think those would be the minutes he would have to cut into. Because he's not going to take Davion Mintz's minutes right now, you know. Right. Wheeler, Washington, and Grady, they're all entrenched as uh, regulars on this team. You know, none of those guys, I think, would lose minutes. But um, it's so tricky with a guy like Sharp, just because you would think pure talent, he's probably, more than probably, I'd be stunned if he wasn't good enough to help this team. I think he probably is. But getting into shape, adjusting to a new group, and, and then, you know, he's not going to have those kind of tune-up games. This, this schedule is about to get really tough. So, it really is a bit of a fascinating situation. Um, it's easier right now when they're playing well to, to not right. have to worry about it just because you think that they can kind of handle business with the group that they have. But, you know, what happens here if they lose two or three games in a row and maybe the guard plays shaky at times and you have that option? It's really uh, quite an interesting situation. And, you know, I know Hamadou Diallo here, came here a few years ago, kind of did the same thing. But it was, one, Diallo wasn't the same kind of prospect that Sharp is. And, and two... You know, that team, um, yeah, I believe that was the Darren Fox team. And, you know, their right. guard play was, was very good that season. So right. it's not quite the same. I can't think of a situation that's like this where you have a guy who, when he committed to Kentucky, was a consensus number one player in his class and, and someone that, you know, you read some of those, scout, those scouting reports and mock drafts for the future, think he could be the number one overall pick. So um, if they can all get on the same page and – kind of work something out because i don't think there's going to be a scenario where shade and sharp becomes a primary you know scorer on this right. team it's just can he give them 10 15 minutes a game and i guess my overall thing to kind of wrap it all up if he can be an upgrade over a guy like bryce hopkins which i think he could be then i could see a, a scenario where he would kind of just be a, a role player for this team yeah, as you mentioned, it's going to be fascinating to watch. And as you also mentioned, they've, they're going into a tough part of the schedule, obviously starting with Tennessee on Saturday, but you got Texas A&M on Wednesday down in College Station. And then they go to Auburn, uh, you know, one of the top, what, Auburn three or four in the country right now. Uh, then Mississippi State back home. Then they go to Kansas for the SEC Big 12 Challenge game on Saturday the 29th. What, what, are, you, what are you looking for from this team in those games to kind of judge where you think they are uh, – uh, you know, as we head, you know, into February and March and the meat of the season, really. Yeah, I think this will tell you how, maybe how elite Kentucky could be, starting with Tennessee. I mean, that was a great, great way to get it going just because Tennessee was, you know, at least offensively very highly thought of. And, and they'd be some good teams this year. They'd beat Arizona. Um, they, they beat the North Carolina team that UK obviously destroyed as well. Um but that was a good start. Auburn, I think, is all the way up to number two in the AP poll. I saw, <laughs> I follow a few Auburn riders, and it sounds like that fan base is not happy that they didn't put it number one. That yeah, they, they were not put at number one. Yeah, they thought they were going to be number one. And Gonzaga uh, yeah. went back to number one. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I mean, t- I, part of me says, you know, it's kind of, you know, who cares? You know, kind of where you're ranked right now, especially in a sport like college basketball. And maybe it's just 
getting so accustomed to the kind of the UK mentality that it's really the season is defined on what you do in the NCAA tournament. I kind of have to remind myself that it's not that way everywhere else. I mean, Auburn's never been number one before, so I understand why they would want that. But the way I see it, if you're Auburn, take care of business against Georgia. And if you beat Kentucky on Saturday, you know, they're probably going to go to number one. But for UK, I mean, this is a, a chance to still earn some more key wins for for your resume uh beating tennessee helps north carolina again i think is a top 30 team on ken palm but outside of that there aren't a whole lot of marquee victories so if you can go on the road and win a game at auburn uh, i think if you just split if you just win one of the games either at auburn or at kansas i mean that's the kind of marquee victory you'll need um come selection sunday to kind of help get a better seed but i mean really i think this uk team's shown you a lot the, the one thing i would still worry about I guess if I were a fan, how they would play if Oscar were to be out for an extended amount of time in a game from yeah. foul trouble or or something else, just because that that backup five spot. I mean, some games Cal feels like he wants to play where for for ten minutes or so. Sometimes he tries to play Damian Collins, but that is a a spot that you know there's just such a clear drop off. And again, you're talking about Shibuya, a guy who. I think on Ken Palm right now is the most valuable player in the country, number one on his player of the year candidate. So, I mean, that's a, if you take the best player off any team, obviously it's going to be a, a, a challenge for that group. But that, that would be a spot on this because I think every other spot on the roster, you saw when Wheeler went down, Washington stepped into point, set the, you know, UK record for assist in the game in his first start as a point guard. Uh, if something were to happen to Grady or, or Tata, you know, you have Mintz there. Or potentially sharp if it came to that. So that's the one spot on the roster, and you can go back to the preseason. That's what people were talking about. You know, who who would the backup five be? I think Cal would have to get quite creative, just because I think it would be pretty tough for this team for for an extended amount of time to have to play Damian Collins, who who to me just does not look ready yeah. to be counted on every single night. You know, to play a big role and where uh, you know I kind of like what where brings them, but again. Uh, virtually no scoring threat at all when he's on the floor um so there's a pretty big drop off there so it's pretty important hey give credit to oscar because all season coming in or all year long uh, in the preseason it was you know he had some foul trouble at west virginia he's done a great job this year staying on the court so that would be my big concern for this team because everywhere else i mean i feel like it's a pretty complete group one last thing before I let you go. Texas A&M 15-2 overall, 4-0 in the league. I don't think they played the schedule that some of the other SEC teams have played to this point. But still, you know, the, you're going down there, you're playing them on their home floor. Buzz Williams, good coach, does a good job. Uh, do you expect Kentucky to have a lot of trouble on Wednesday, or how do you see that game? Yeah, I was, I was interested with this game just because – um, a pretty emotional, I guess you could say, type game against Tennessee. Uh, right. Even take out the Jubby Hall stuff. I mean, it was really the first game I wrapped this season that was a big matchup, and the they, they played about really as well as he could. Yeah. Yeah. And they played about as well as he could have. And then naturally, um, you look ahead and you got Auburn, uh, a team that, I mean, that arena, I think I tweeted about this. Like, I, I was never. I didn't cover a game at Auburn in the in the Tony Barbie era either. So every time I've ever been to Auburn, that venue is it's small, but in terms of you know toughness to play, I mean that is a legitimately a hard place to win a basketball game these days. So 
naturally, uh, you know, Texas A&M, going back to them, they were picked 12th in the preseason. I think I counted eight transfers off their team last year. Like, you're right where they haven't played. They've beaten Georgia, Missouri, and I think Ole Miss, and none of those teams are even in the top 100 on Ken Palm. So uh, their one key win was at Arkansas, and uh, even Arkansas's maybe not been what they were projected to be coming into the season. Um, I, I expect Kentucky to, uh, to take care of business, but I wouldn't be surprised if you get to the final four minutes tomorrow and it's still a, a pretty close game. Um, just because I do have a lot of respect for Buzz Williams. He's, he's won everywhere he's been. This is a program that I would imagine is going to be pretty solid moving forward, probably a little bit ahead of schedule. But you go off the computers, they're 59th overall in Ken Palm. I mean, this should be a game that that Kentucky wins, but uh, it's a big matchup. Anytime you go on the road in the SEC and near UK, you're not going to get the other team's best shot. So I would expect a Kentucky win, but maybe a little bit closer uh, than what all the fans would like to see. But that should set up a you know a matchup maybe of number one versus number two in the SEC on Saturday. So, and then you know if you're uh, if you're like me, you know you got. Kentucky at 1 p.m. And then after that, John, you got the Bengals. Big playoff game. Uh, <laughs> That's so right. CPS is going to have a lot of eyes on it uh, on Saturday because you got a little doubleheader action there. That's so right. That's right. That's right. Okay. Okay. Well, then I got to ask you, uh, the Bengals, can they beat uh, the Titans on Saturday? Oh, my, my head, you know, my heart tells me yes, but uh, my head is, is I, I really thought out of all the playoff games, it's one of those weird things where I think the Titans were probably happy uh, to see the Bengals given the other teams left. And I think if you're the Bengals, you probably view the Titans maybe as right. a bit of a more manageable game. I truly feel like they got the quarterback advantage uh, with Burrow versus uh, Tannehill. But, you know, you talk about all the players that the Titans had to have on their roster this year and to still finish as the number one seed. I mean, give them a lot of credit yeah. for getting there. But uh, I'm going to say the Bengals pull the upset this week, but then uh, – the dream ends next week against either the Chiefs or the Bills. I think uh, I really feel, and I don't want to offend any Titans fans, as I'm sure there are a lot uh, who, who cheer for the. I mean, it's just in this state, they're the two closest teams. So uh, I, I like the Titans uh, or the Bengals, I mean, to beat the Titans this week, but then uh, lose to either the Chiefs or the Bills, whoever it may be. But man, what a fun season, though, it's been. And yeah. they're picked to finish last in the AFC North and to be in the. Uh, to be this deep and finally win a playoff game. I mean, there for a long time, I was all in on the Reds, but now I'm kind of, <laughs> this team feels like it's going to pull. I mean, you got a quarterback like Burrow, you really feel like oh, yeah. anything's possible. Absolutely. Whereas with the Reds, uh, with the Reds, it's uh, <laughs> much more of an uphill climb, but just something to pass the time during the summers, I guess. Yeah. Well, right. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I think the Bengals, I think they will win on Saturday. I think with yeah. Burrow, the way Burrow's playing, I think the Titans have kind of been held, like you mentioned, they had so many players kind of been held together with, uh, you know, with, with glue and duct tape. Uh, but I think the, I think the Bengals will win. I'm like you. I think that would be probably where it ends if they had to go to Kansas City or Buffalo. But, uh, yeah, it's been a really great seat. Fun to watch Joe Burrow, that's for sure. Uh, and it'll be fun to watch Kentucky on Wednesday against Texas A&M. Like I said, it's an 8 o'clock start on the SEC Network. Derek, tell the listeners where they can follow you on Twitter and read you online leading up to uh, the game Wednesday and the game Saturday and all through the season. Yeah, my Twitter handle is at Derek S. Terry and then catspaws.com or if you're uh, – Still a subscriber to the print magazine, uh, the Cat's Paws. Uh, obviously been around a long time. Mm-hmm. You can find my work there. Just uh, 
We just sent our latest issue to press today. So uh, the next issue of that should be in your mailbox this week if you're a subscriber. But uh, catsflaws.com for all the most recent work can be found there. Well, Derek does a great job. And Derek, as always, I really appreciate you being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, John. Okay, that'll do it for this edition of the John Clay Podcast. I think it's our 130th edition of the John Clay Podcast. My thanks to my guests, Travis Brown of the Bryan College Station Eagle and Derek Terry of the Cat Spas. Be sure and check out their work online. Be sure and check out all of our work online at Kentucky.com. You can follow me on Twitter at John Clay IV. Check out my sidelines blog. We'll have live updates during the game on Wednesday between Kentucky and Texas A&M. Check out my three takeaways after the game, coverage from Mark Story and Jerry Tipton as well uh, on Kentucky.com and then we'll have print, uh, coverage later in the week in the print edition of the Lexington Herald Leader as well. Thanks again to Travis Brown and to Derek Terry and thanks again to everybody for listening. We'll catch you next time on the John Clay Podcast. <laughs>